Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture. It's Wall Builders. We're taking on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. Of course, if you, as you've heard us say, if you're a longtime listener, many, many times we believe it's really important to know what the Bible says about any issue we're facing today. There's, there's no area that is off limits. Everything that deals with our personal relationships, our, 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 you know, work relationships, how we run our business, or how we work as an employee, or our independent contractor, or whatever your role is. The Bible speaks to all of that. Well, it also speaks to how we form our society, how we treat our neighbors, uh, what kind of leaders we elect. If we are in, in public service or we're serving in any way the, 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 you know, in politics or anything like that, the Bible has a lot to say about how we should do that. So biblical perspective on everything in life, incredibly important. And then, of course, historical perspective. We, we think you can learn from history. You know, if you look back in history, you can see what works, what doesn't work. So we're big on studying that history, knowing that history. As Ronald Reagan said, if we forget what we did— we won't know who we are. America's facing a crisis of conscience. We don't know who we are, and so we're sliding into socialism. We're sliding into all of these totalitarian-type things. It's just crazy. It's because we don't know our history. So Wallbuilders is all about bringing back that history, bringing back that foundation. In fact, Wallbuilders comes from the book of Nehemiah, where it says, Arise and rebuild the walls that we may no longer be a reproach. The walls were the strength of a nation back then. You had to have that. Today, the foundation of America is what needs to be rebuilt, bringing back these principles of liberty and making sure that we understand them and how to apply them. And so we get a biblical perspective, a historical perspective, and a constitutional perspective. How do we apply this in our country? So we can have a biblical perspective, but then we have to know how to do that in our particular nation, under our constitution, in a constitutional republic. How does this work? So that's our perspective on, on Wall Builders. That's what we do every day here around this, uh, around this program. But on Fridays, we do something a little bit special. We call it Good News Friday. And it's a chance to dive into a lot of good news that you wouldn't hear otherwise. Most of the stories that David and Tim are going to share today, you haven't heard from anybody else. But before we get to the good news, Tim, we're going to continue our Heroes of History throughout this month, every day getting a new hero of history. And by the way, Tim is Tim Barton, national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders, and also David Barton, America's premier historian and our founder here at Wall Builders, and I'm Rick Green, America's constitution coach. So Tim, what is our hero of history today? Yeah, Rick, our hero today is John Morant. And first of all, let me say I'm really glad it's Good News Friday because yesterday I felt a little pressured that we had to go quick because we really wanted to hear the rest of Bob McEwen and we had to leave time for all that in the program. I'm glad today that we have a little more time uh, because this is a story that deserves more time and arguably all these stories deserve more time, but I'm just glad we get to do it today. So John Morant is considered the first black missionary to Native Americans in American history, the, the, the first one to successfully evangelize Native Americans, and he did it when he was 13 and 14 years old. As, as always, we've told people that if you want to find out more of these uh, stories, you can go to wallbuilders.com. We have this page and app bio. But what's unique about this one specifically is at the end of all of these stories, we we give the footnotes, just a glimpse of some of the footnotes for how much is actually there, but we give some footnotes for people to find out more. Well, in this one, if you go to the footnotes on John Morant, what you actually find is there's only one, and it's not really a footnote. What it says is all of the quotes and significant facts are taken directly from John Morant's autobiography, and it tells you the name. Well, the reason I point this out is because this is a story taken from his autobiography, and the autobiography is 30 or 40 pages, and we've condensed it to a page and a half to give some of the big picture highlights to understand who he was. 
You need to, everybody listening, you need to go look up this story, read all 30 or 40 pages. You actually can go to Google Books. You can find this online. It is so remarkable, but to give the abbreviated version, John Morant was uh, actually born as a free black in America. We, we've talked about some of these individuals and heroes who were born as slaves, born into slavery. Well, John Morant was different than many of those because he was born free in New York. Uh, he gets an education. It finishes when he's 11 years old. When he's 11, he is sent to South Carolina to go live with his sister and her family and really to find a job, to find a profession, a career. He's going to go apprentice somewhere. While he's in town, uh, his sister is right, presumably taking him around, showing him all these places. Well, he says they're going through town and they passed a facility where he heard music and he was so impressed with the music. He said, I, I want to learn to play music. His sister is pushing back like, hey, that's not what mom told us we had to do. You got to find an apprenticeship, find a job. He says, no, I want to play music. Sister essentially tells him, well, you better call and ask mom, right? Write and ask mom because mom told us we had to do something different. You need to get her permission. Mom finally acquiesces, says, okay, you can do this. And he goes and apprentices or goes and learns music. He does this for a year and gains so much proficiency in a year that the teacher of the school actually asks him to stay on and help start teaching the younger students. Well, John just becomes a prodigy. He's so good at the violin. He's so good with the French horn. And he's so good, he starts getting requests to go perform in different locations. Well, while he's going to perform in different locations, one of the things that he said about himself was he was getting paid very well for this. So much so, he said that I was a stranger to want being supplied with as much money as I had any occasion for, meaning anything I wanted to buy, I could buy. This is a 13-year-old at this time. Now, obviously 13 back then, a little different than 13 today. Nonetheless, imagine being a young person and you're making such good money. You're like, man, I can buy anything I want. Anything looks good. I'm going to buy that. That was his life. Well, one day he and a friend are traveling to a location where they're supposed to put on a concert and on the way they're passing through a town, they went by this big hall and he said he heard someone inside hallooing at a crowd and they stopped to listen and, and they decided to go in. Well, the person that was hallooing at the crowd was the Reverend George Whitfield. They didn't know who George Whitfield was at the time. But just like we mentioned earlier in the week, the Reverend Francis Asbury was one of the significant early leaders in Second Great Awakening. Well, if you go back to the First Great Awakening, the most significant leader from the First Great Awakening was the Reverend George Whitfield. Now, Dad, we've talked about Francis Asbury and, and him going approximately 300,000 miles on horseback. Well, Whitfield didn't go quite that far. But when you look at the amount of years he was a missionary and the amount of sermons he delivered, Whitfield had an amazing influence in America. Yeah, Whitfield is a guy that even the founding fathers look back and point to him as the reason that we became a nation. Whitfield was the guy who helped us get out of this thing of, well, you're South Carolina and we're New York and we're two nations and we'll never meet each other. So he, he got him out of this mentality of we're all different instead of look at all the things we have in common. And he did that particularly with a sermon called Father Abraham's Sermon, which is talked about by John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin and others. But Whitfield covered America. I mean, for 34 years, he preached. He preached some 32,000 sermons. And I don't know horseback-wise what he did. I know he did a lot on horseback, but I, I think it was 16 trips he made back and forth between England and America. And when you're talking trips on a ship, that's like three months at a shot. 
So he spent years on ships on the ocean going back and forth, preaching in America and preaching there. But he had a huge impact, had so many followers. And and that's what happened with John Morant. John Morant went to one of these meetings, actually went there not planning to go there and have anything happen to him, but he did. And that's what turned his life around, which literally changed relations between blacks and Native Americans and whites and all sorts of things. Well, and in fairness, John Morant did go to the meeting expecting something significant to happen, just not that it would happen to him because his friend said, hey, let's go to this meeting. But his friend dared him to to blow the French horn and disrupt the meeting, right? I mean, these were young teenage boys. They thought this would be so funny. Let's mess the meeting up. And so John stands up in the middle of the meeting. He takes a breath to blow the French horn. And at this moment, George Whitfield points to him and says, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. And John goes paralyzed. He says he can't move, he fell to the floor. People came over, they didn't know what was wrong. They, they tried to help him up and, and he falls back down. They try to help him up again, he falls back down. They finally decide, ah, just leave him on the ground. We'll deal with him later. Well, at the end of service, they took him into the back of the church. They, they put him on a pew in the back. George Whitfield comes to him and says, it appears Jesus has gotten a hold of you at last. And George Whitfield tells him, hey, I gotta go out of town. And John Morant still can't move, he's just frozen. Whitfield says, I got to leave, but I'm going to send a pastor to you and, and, and he'll help coach you on what happened. He'll talk to you more about Jesus, discipleship. Well, George Whitfield leaves and it's three days before the pastor shows up. The pastor shows up and John Moran is just sick, can't move. He's in bed, doesn't feel good. Pastor says, well, we should pray for you. So the pastor goes to pray for John. Now, John didn't want to be prayed for, but the pastor grabs him. The pastor starts praying for him. And at the end, the pastor says, how do you feel? And John tells him, I feel terrible. The pastor says, well, then we should pray again. So the pastor grabs his hands and prayed the second time. John didn't feel any better. So the pastor concludes, we need to pray again. John says that he thought he was trying to kill me. He, it, it, I was worse every time he prayed, but the pastor grabbed him. And the third time they prayed, everything changed. And John said that that it, he, he just felt different. He felt this peace and this joy and, and he didn't feel sick anymore. And the pastor began to talk to him and coach him, teach him about Jesus, about the Bible, discipled him. Well, John Moran gets a Bible and he falls in love with Jesus, falls in love with the Bible. The only thing he wants to do is read his Bible and, and talk to and about Jesus so much so that the, he's living with his sister's family. They're not saved yet. And they get so annoyed with him just talking about Jesus all the time that finally they're like, you need to leave. In fact, he says that they called him every name except one which was good. And so he decides that he's so rejected, he's just going to go to the woods by himself. And maybe he's just going to go die in the woods because nobody seems to want him, but he loves Jesus. And, and he believes he's going to spend eternity with Jesus. So it's okay for him to die because when he dies, he'll see Jesus. While he's in the woods, he meets a Cherokee brave. And this Cherokee had done some trading in their town and this Cherokee recognized John. And so he came to him and said, hey, do you need help? And John told him, I've got nowhere to go. The Cherokee says, come with me. I'll help take care of you. The Cherokee was gathering furs. And so, right, probably some hunting, some fishing, stuff going on. And John stays with him for the next eight or 10 weeks. John is learning some Cherokee uh, as he's engaging with this Cherokee brave. The Cherokee at the end of this time in the woods decides he wants to go back to his village. He invites John to come. John goes back with him to the village. But when he gets to the village, the chief recognizes John's not one of the tribe. In fact, John's an outsider. And the the law of the tribe was that no outsiders were allowed. If any outsider came in the camp, they'd be killed. So the chief orders John Morant to be bound, to be captured. And when they grab him, they, they tie him up, they bind him. And John says they decided they were going to execute him the next morning. 
and they went and, and, and they locked him up in this little hut and there was a guard on the outside and they'd already told them how they were going to execute him the next morning. It was pretty graphic. It, it wasn't a nice way to die at all. They were going to torture him to death. And they explained how they were going to torture him to death. So he's in the cell, but he has this Paul and Silas moment. He begins praying and, and really then becomes begins to praise God because he realizes that even though he's going to die a horrible death, that once he dies, he gets to be with Jesus and that's going to be great. Well, when he starts rejoicing and praising God and thanking Jesus, one of these these Native American guards, they, they open up and they look inside and they say, hey, wh- who are you talking to? And John told them, I'm talking to Jesus. The guard looks around, says, I don't see anybody in here. And John tells him, oh, Jesus is with us right now. And he begins to tell the guard about Jesus. Now, he also had his Bible with him. So I would imagine, right, he probably is talking about how the Bible has told us about, right, the coming Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And either way, he whatever it is, he explains it to this native in whatever Cherokee he knows, the native tells him, I've got to get someone, I'll be back. The native comes back with elders of that tribe and the native tells him, you need to, John, you need to tell them what you told me about this Jesus guy. John tells them, they're so impressed, they get the chief, John actually called the chief the king, but they get the chief and John is sent before the chief and over time, John's able to explain Jesus, explain the gospel. The chief ends up getting saved The tribe ends up converting to Christianity. They free John. They make him a prince of the tribe. In the midst of this, they ask John to live with them for the next many weeks and to teach them more about Jesus, teach them from this great book. So John stays with them. He mentors them in Christianity. And then the chief has this idea that, you know, there's other tribes that have never heard about this Jesus. We want them to hear about Jesus. So he sends John out as a missionary from their tribe to other tribes. The chief sends his 50 warrior, bravest warriors with John as an escort to keep John safe until he can tell these tribes about Jesus. John does this. He turns 14 years old while he's a missionary with these native tribes. At the end of these many, many months he's been out there, he finally gets a little homesick and says, hey guys, I want to go back home. And and as the story goes on, it's his parents, his mom doesn't even recognize him when he gets home because he said he'd been gone so long. He, he, he wore a loincloth. He had his chest painted, was had feathers in his hair. He dressed just like the natives that he had been with. And his mom didn't recognize him. But finally, he's restored to the family. I mean, it's, it's this amazing story. And I've abbreviated 30 or 40 pages in these 12 minutes. But the point is that this is the incredible story of a 13 or 14-year-old young man who is the first black American to successfully evangelize Native Americans. And when you have organizations like the 1619 Project, or, or, or you have these movements of critical race theory that, that are presumably suggesting we should learn more of the black history in America, I just notice they leave out a lot of these really important heroes of American history, including someone like John Morant. If we want to look back at some amazing stories of some incredible men and women of American history, John Morant's name has to be on the list. For anyone who wants to know more, again, I encourage you to go to the Wall Builders website, but look up John Morant's autobiography. Read that 30 or 40 pages. You will not be disappointed. John Morant is certainly one of those American heroes that we should remember today. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. When we come back from the break, we'll jump into some of that good news. Stay with us. You're listening to Wall Builders. Hi, 
friends, this is Tim Barton of Wall Builders. This is a time when most Americans don't know much about American history or even Hebrews of the faith. And I know oftentimes for parents, we're trying to find good content for our kids to read. And if you remember back to the Bible, to the book of Hebrews, it has the Faith Hall of Fame where they outline the leaders of faith that had gone before them. Well, this is something that as Americans, we really want to go back and outline some of these heroes, not just of American history, but heroes of Christianity and our faith as well. I want to let you know about some biographical sketches we have available on our website. One is called the Courageous Leaders Collection. And this collection includes people like Abigail Adams, Abraham Lincoln, Francis Scott Key, George Washington Carver, Susanna Wesley, even the Wright brothers. And there's a second collection called Heroes of History. In this collection, you'll read about people like Benjamin Franklin or Christopher Columbus, Daniel Boone, George Washington, Harriet Tubman, Friends, the list goes on and on. This is a great collection for your young person to have and read, and it's a providential view of American and Christian history. This is available at wallbuilders.com. That's www.wallbuilders.com. We're back here on Wobblers. Thanks for staying with us. And uh, it's time for David to give us some good news. David, what's our first piece of good news today? Okay, Rick. So I have talked on several Good News Fridays about the cool things going in Congress, not really covered very well by media uh, because it's good news, and they're not after that, particularly when it's good news for for conservatives and, and faith people. But nonetheless, here's another one, and it just deals with the kind of people we've got in Congress that we don't hear much about. Um, because the the composition of the House changed, Republicans are now in charge of all the committees. There are 19 major committees, and so Republicans have it, Democrats had it. And so Kathy McMorris Rogers out of the state of Washington is the new chair of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, and that's a super big committee. That's one of the powerful ones. Of course, they're the ones fighting ESG right now where Biden's trying to push it forward, and Commerce Committee as well, all the business stuff. And it's interesting the way that Kathy McMorris Rogers started the meeting. All, and, and this is a big committee. This like the Judiciary Committee and like the Armed Services Committee, like Budget and Appropriations. These are your really big tier committees. And so there's a lot of members on the committee. And she opens it up. And what she did, she says, I want to give every one of you a book. And she did. And she gave them a book and said, I want to invite all of us to read through this together in 2023. It's an all-time bestseller. I read it for the first time a few years ago, and it changed my life. My encouragement is for all of you to read this book in your lifetime, so let's do it now in 2023. It's the Bible. She gave every committee member a copy of the Bible and said, guys, we all need to read this together. She said the Bible is structured. If you'll read 15 minutes a day, you can read a little in the Old Testament, a little in the New Testament, a little in Psalms and Proverbs. She said, I pray this will be a blessing to all of you. And it it sounds really like a one-year Bible because that's the way the one-year Bible is set up. And it's easy. 15 minutes a day, you'll cover the entire Bible in a year. It's only 3.2 chapters a day you have to read in the Bible. It's an easy thing to do. But I love the fact that the chairman of this super big, powerful committee starts out by saying, hey, every one of us, we all need to get in the Bible and read through this this year. We need to go cover to cover on this. And by the way, not just for committee members, not just for congressmen, every single one of us need to do the same thing. So it's great to see Kathy McMorris Rogers do this. All right, Tim, what's your first piece of good news today? Yeah, well, guys, uh, the, the first one I have is from Cedarville University. And actually, I'm going to I'm going to acknowledge I filibustered the first segment. So all I'm going to say, I, I'm only going to mention this because it ties in with the Catholic Morris Rogers encouraging people to read the Bible. Uh, I, I'm reminded of what Jesus said in, in Matthew, where he said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
And I think it's so cool that we are seeing people hungering and thirsting for God. We've talked about the, the, the move going on at Asbury University or Asbury College. Well, this article says Cedarville University experiencing outpouring of the Lord in campus revival. And this is a Christian university in Ohio that is is seeing their chapel service that has now just grown and people are, are just hungering and thirsting after God. And I know there's a lot of thoughts out there where people want to critique and criticize what's happening or what's not happening at Asbury or even what that this Christian university in Ohio. But the point is that we should acknowledge it's great that people are hungering and thirsting after God, after righteousness, None, not the least of which when you have a congresswoman encouraging everybody to read and study and know the Bible, make that a commitment to read the Bible in a year. Guys, God is moving and doing something, and it's super encouraging. This is some really good news. Now, not to filibuster longer, Dad, I'm throwing back to you so you can get one or two more of these stories in before we wrap up the day. Yeah, the good news I want to hit right now, this starts, and it's a whole series of stories. I'm just going to kind of hit the headlines. But we've seen what happened with the Chinese balloon. And I think some Americans, hopefully some Democrats in Congress, are figuring out China is not their friend. They've been talking nice to China, wanting to get along with China. China wants to see us destroyed. We are their enemy, and they're going to smile at us and hold their hand out to us and offer everything that we'll take with the hope that it'll destroy us. And so we're starting to see some states say, hey, this TikTok thing is not good. There's a lot of anti-security stuff embedded here. They're getting lots of personal information. This is to help them against America. But now we see that in North Dakota, um, they struck down a Chinese cornmeal project. And by the way, all over America, the Chinese are buying up land near security sites, just like the balloon went over a lot of those sites in Montana and Wyoming elsewhere where we have a lot of, lot of national defense stuff. They're buying land by that farmland. They're starting, and this is a Chinese corn mill, and North Dakota said, mm, ain't doing it. We've got security concerns. We're not letting the Chinese buy land here near, near some of the stuff. So that's good news that we're starting to wake up to, to the Chinese stuff. Uh, same thing happened in New York City. New York City actually closed down the Chinese police station that the Chinese opened in New York City. That in itself ought to be a red alarm going off when the Chinese send their people here to enforce the law in New York City. But New York City said, no, 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 out of here. You're getting out of here. And so all over the country, it's like people are starting to wake up. And and hopefully TikTok is another one. I've seen a whole bunch of states now ban it for state websites and and for state use. Young people need to get off it as well. Old people need to get off it. Everybody needs to get off TikTok. But here's another headline. Australia just ripped out 900 Chinese-made security cameras from their government buildings. So Chinese are willing to make cheaper products and sell it cheaper so that we'll take it. And then we take it, and they've got all sorts of stuff embedded in it. And so good for the Australians. They're starting to see what the rest of the world's starting to recognize. China is not our friend, and they ripped out these 900 security cameras. And they may be security cameras, but they really give the Chinese most likely a lot of information. At least that's the way their other cameras have been. So just good news to see that we're starting to wake up, and China is an enemy, and we're recognizing that. Now, a couple other things that I want to throw in. It's really good. North Dakota— just talking North Dakota about how they said no to that Chinese corn mill. North Dakota also just passed a measure that declare that people are actually superior to animals and to inanimate objects. And that is a huge thing. That really is a reflection of biblical thinking. Uh, if you go back to the, the book of Romans in the Bible, uh, Romans 1, it talks about that when you love the creation more than the creator, how your worldview gets flipped. And really, the progressives love the creation more than the creator. They'll inconvenience people all day long to save the planet. 
Uh, they'll inconvenience people to save the animals. Everything is worth more than a, than a human is, including human life. We're happy to take that in abortion and their thinking. So here, North Dakota says, no, 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 we're, we're just telling you, people are the most important thing. They're, they're higher than animals. They're higher than inanimate objects. People, that's that's what this is all about. And that is a, you're not going to get that from progressives and you're not going to get that from liberal Democrats. That's coming from a better worldview. And that's a healthy thing to have in America. Well, guys, how ironic is it that <laughs> we are celebrating something that is so basic? Like how far is our culture gone that now we're having to to celebrate when someone says something as basic as, yeah, a human life really is more important than a bird, right? A human life is really more important than a fish. But this is how backwards, you know, Dad, to your point of Romans 1, this is how backwards we've become in our lack of morality. And, you know, one of the reasons that obviously we exist is try to promote the restoration of biblical values uh, that we were founded on. Looking back to the religious, the moral, constitutional foundation of the nation, the founding fathers pretty much without exception, point to the Bible as the bedrock of freedom in this nation, where you have John Adams saying that our constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. When George Washington in his farewell address says that religion and morality are the indispensable supports of our political prosperity, they understood without a moral foundation, without a religious people that had a moral foundation, our nation wouldn't survive. And so the reason I think we can celebrate this so much is because it gives an indication that maybe we are seeing the restoration of some basic moral values that have at least been decaying as there's been an attack, if not completely eroded. But it's so great to see a renewal on some level of some of these basic values, some of this common sense thought that is happening in some of these states. I guess I think we've got time for one more piece of good news. David, what are we going to close out with? And the final piece of good news I've got comes from a real surprise for me. I haven't been able to do this literally in years, but over recent months, we've had two or three of these stories. This is good news out of Massachusetts, and it's the Massachusetts Supreme Court has ruled that unborn babies are actually persons. Now, even though they've got, you know, just unlimited abortion up there, the Supreme Court said, no, 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 an unborn baby is actually a baby. And it dealt with the fact that there was a guy up there that killed a pregnant woman, and in killing the pregnant woman, it killed the unborn child. And so he's saying, wait a minute, you can't convict me of two murders. I've only got one. This was an unborn child. And they said, yeah, but that unborn child is actually a person. And so the Supreme Court of Massachusetts, for all places, has actually upheld the, the, the fact that an unborn child is actually a human life. That's great news. Well, and it is, and that is obviously the correct position. It does make you wonder then— What's going to happen with the abortion industry? If we're acknowledging as an unborn child, I feel like this would be a great time to be a pro-life center up in Massachusetts, maybe bring bring some kind of challenge with the abortion laws based on what's going on. Nonetheless, really good news for Massachusetts. All right, gentlemen, we are out of time for today, but there is more good news at our website, wallbuilderslive.com. Jump in the archives there and go to any Friday program, and you can get some more good news. But David and Tim will have more good news for you next week. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to Wall Builders. We stand on this.